Welcome to another week of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. Just like last week, my name's Alon. And I'm Tim. And Ara's not here. Um, I don't think he'll be back next week either. And the week after that, I'm actually gone the week after that. Oh, really? Are we actually going to go a week without Chatterbox Radio? No. I wonder if maybe we could front load. We could could record a show in advance that I release at due time. Oh, you tricked me. Um, It's really up to you. If you're willing to meet or do two shows in one night, I don't know. Maybe we could do one where, like, we talk for two hours and we do a part one and a part two. Yeah, well, two shows in one night is dangerous, especially when we don't have any topics to talk about, like tonight. Oh, I think we can come up with something. (laughs) Because I want to describe to our listeners the house that I'm in right now. (laughs) Um, If you live... What, you mean we're not in a live studio? If If you live in Martin, America, you're familiar with... The cookie-cutter neighborhoods, the subdivisions, I believe is what they're called. Um, I live in one of those now, although my house is about 30 years old, almost. I think it was made in 85. My first house in Phoenix was brand new when I bought it, and it was definitely in a subdivision where every house is essentially the same, or every fourth house is, is the same. But what's great is when you go inside those houses and you find some real gems inside those houses um nondescript on the outside tim nothing special going on outside although by the way i should say your neighbors on the east side of the street very different set of houses over there oh yeah yeah those houses are about 40 years old while uh this house is less than 10 years old yeah interesting i don't know if like your house was cotton fields uh it, it was an old uh baseball Stadium. So this house is literally built on uh, broken childhood dreams. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. Um, so you live next door to uh, very old houses, but um, you also have a house filled with paraphernalia, gaming paraphernalia, and this is great. Like Ara's house has some stuff. It's a bit of a museum. My house has some stuff that is totally hidden away because it's in boxes because I'm married and that's what happens. Um, but your house is just, it's just free form. <laughs> You've got everything. All right, so I don't know if our listeners remember a uh, chainsaw controller for Resident Evil 4. You've got one of those. I've got two of those. You've actually got two of them. Yep. And, and we inspected them quite a bit. Apparently, there's a big difference between the GameCube one and the PS2 one. Yeah, you actually pulled out more differences than I ever noticed since, you know, the GameCube one is sealed. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm good at that. I'm good. Um, so you also have a jelly controller? Uh, blue Slime from Dragon Quest. Blue Slime, that's what it is? I don't play Dragon Quest. Yeah. Okay, so Blue Slime controller. Um, and pretty much every Game Boy Advance game known to man. No, just the good ones. No. You're one of those guys, right? So I have a friend who's who was on the show a few weeks ago. Well, I think I talked about him last week as well. Basically, he's got the same same style going on, right? He's okay. got everything, every game, every controller. Well, it doesn't it doesn't seem like that much when you compare it to you know the people on the internet that are like, hey, look at my game setup, and it just totally blows this one out of the water. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could do do something to organize a little bit better. This isn't internet worthy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no denying that. But you certainly have some spectacular stuff going on here. There were a few games that I pointed out. I can't even remember at this point. We're talking like Rampart for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. You've got um, the puzzle collection for the import GameCube. So the one that includes the original Panel the Pawn. Yep. Yeah, found that at Bookman's. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, I kept losing bids on eBay, and then I was just bummed out. Went to Bookman's on the way home, and just happened to be there how for mu- like how much? Thirty bucks, man. Okay, so for those who don't know, by the way, Panel Upon is what was converted to Tetris Attack in the United States, and Tetris Attack is one of my my all time preferred games. The GameCube one's great because each of the iterations of those Nintendo puzzle games are four players. Oh yeah, was wasn't there a version of? The Tetris Attack that was a Pokemon game. Yeah, that's right. Also four player. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, that was that was like an official sequel for the N sixty four. Right? Wasn't it called Pokemon Puzzle League? Yeah, Pokemon Puzzle League, yeah. which I have. I'm excited to say. 
Although it's embarrassing that it's a Pokemon game, <laughs> but but yeah, I guess that's that's weird, right? Like a, a uh, an anime fairy with a, a star wand is way better. Well, yeah, the fact that it's not Pokemon is better, <laughs> but I guess that's interesting, right? So so back in the day, last week we talked about Doki Doki Panic being converted to a Mario game in order right, to right, right. Oh yeah, that's similar. So that was take a game that we know is good but didn't sell well put a brand on it that people recognize and then sell it. Oh, not only, uh, yeah, that, that one's a really interesting case. Cause not only did they just, um, fill it with Yoshi characters and other random Mario characters. Now we've moved on to Tetris attack now. That's yeah. what we're talking about. But the name Tetris attack, like there's no reason for it to be called that. It's not a Tetris game. It's not like Tetris. Tetris has never been about matching colors. Oh yeah. No, it's completely different. They actually took, two brands and put them yeah. in. so they took the mario universe yep. and they took tetris mashed them together into a game that was not related to either mario or tetris and released it and i don't even know if it was successful um didn't it come out a little too late in the super nintendo's life you got me yeah that's a good question i'm not sure how successful it was either i never played it in the 16-bit days me neither somehow i came across it i don't know why it's Probably. another game i bought at bookman's I was probably like emulating it or something at yeah. some point and just I'll try this Tetris game that I have. Right. right it turns right. out, wow, this is really good. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so they did that and then they just did it again. Like it's a different time. Now people don't want to play Yoshi or Mario stuff. Let's put Pokemon on it. See if we can introduce kids who like Pokemon to this. Exact yeah. Same game. You know, I don't know whether or not that was also a Pokemon game in Japan because they also did a, uh, Panel de Pon for DS. Have you ever played that one? Didn't they have the the same thing that's on the GameCube, like the the puzzle collection, also for the DS? Uh, maybe uh, that might be GBA, but um, the, they're all the same to me, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the DS. I can't remember. I think it was uh, it was called Panel something, but it, they stripped the theme, and it was more of an abstract game. Okay, I'm, I may actually have played that once. I'm having a hard time remembering now, but I, I believe I do remember playing that. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that small change actually did make the game a little bit less memorable, even though the touchscreen's a really good fit for that Absolutely. game where you, you just slide it left and right. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they would do that, right? especially because they already had the brands built in, right. Pokemon and whatever. But it, it was just interesting to me to realize they did this this brand application, but then they just did it again with a different brand. And then, because then they could have times. combined it. It would have been Yoshi and Pikachu. They would have made millions. Yeah. Just um, like Smash Brothers. All right, so that's another game that you have, is the, the puzzle collection. What else did I see in here that I was totally fascinated by? Do you remember? How am I supposed to remember what fascinates you? The Fabio poster? Oh, yeah, you have Iron Sword 2, or Iron Sword, which is Wizards and Warriors 2, autographed by Fabio. Which I certainly can appreciate because I am all about getting autographs on my games. Um, yeah, you know, and just when you meet Fabio at a grocery store, you know, you've got to get him to sign your copy of Wizards and Warriors 2 Iron Sword. T- tell me the story, actually. So you find out he's going to be pushing some sort of methamphetamine yeah, product. Yeah, I, I guess there is that. Okay, so um, I'm, wa- I'm walking through Whole Foods. It's a grocery store that's right next to where I work. And there's these, there's this little promotional sign right by the entrance saying, come and meet Fabio, who's selling his whey protein product. I talked to a couple of buddies. They, th- they think it's hilarious. Um, they put in some money so that I can overnight Wizards and Warriors 2 Iron Sword because I didn't happen to have a mint copy of that game on hand. Because you don't want to pre- present some subpar copy of this game oh, when you ask yeah. him to sign it. It's got to be perfect. Right. Uh, a friend of mine had the game, but the label was all torn, and yeah, that's that's no good. No, also, you really got to get the the poster signed. Um, so we go down there, and actually seeing him there was a little bit surreal because he didn't have like a booth in the back. I mean, he didn't have any like bodyguards or anything. But Fabio doesn't need any bodyguards. Yeah. But um, well, these days he's kind of. That's not true, actually. You'd be surprised. Um, what that he's not a waif, right? No, I mean, I know he's... But you you can see his age. Um, I guess so, but... Uh, I mean, he's got the same hair. That's impressive. Yeah. But um, he was just kind of standing 
over by the registers, over by the front of the store, and there's just a bunch of people walking by him like it's nothing. They didn't even care that the man carrying the iron sword was just standing <laughs> well, there the he's, whole time. he's known for more than that. But, uh, I mean, he's known, known mostly for butter, right? Uh, well, I mean, originally I think he was known for just book covers. Well, I also had him sign some, I can't believe it's not butter. Okay. For my mom. That's hilarious. Um, but More yes. Than Iron Sword. So, but before he would sign anything, me and like the uh, five or so buddies that I went with, he just lectured to us about whey protein and why his is so much better. And he went on for maybe about half an hour and just telling, talking to us very uh, intimately and very passionately and giving us all sorts of anecdotes and illustrations it's funny that you should bring this up today because i'm sure that you remember ara talking to me about how like he's out of town for a few weeks and he's having some whey protein sent to my house so that uh so that i can acquire it for him right while he's away and it won't be just left on his doorstep right that arrived today (laughs) and right before the show i brought it over to his house and i left it for him so that it's there when he comes back. So Fabio says that most whey products are no good. Um, he, he did repeat my pun. So I said, so you, you're saying that most whey is throw away, right? And he just looked at me square and said, yes, it's throw away. And That's, then he continued to spiel. But then he's, and you didn't buy any whey protein. A friend of mine did. So it's all good. Okay. He, he sort of fell on the iron sword. Oh, right. Right. So, yeah. That's good. Um, all right. Well, I think we'll have another story, another Winsky story when we come back. Chatterboxers. How much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, we are back. For the second segment of the Chatterbox video game radio show starring Tim Winsky and his House of Fantasy. <laughs> uh, reminding everybody, actually, before we continue, that UAT.edu, the website for the University of Technology, is where you should be going right now while ignoring the next minute or so of what I say. Oh, I went to a UAT game jam last weekend. That was this weekend? Yeah, it was this previous weekend. How'd that go? It was a pretty good show. Um... Out of was, it, was it a show? I mean, would well, you refer well, okay, to a jam okay. as a show? What I mean is the number of people coming to participate. Oh, it had a good showing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, misunderstood. Okay. Uh, I misspoke. Okay. So there were 10 teams overall. Some people make games totally by themselves. I went just for moral support and worked on my own project that I've been working on for way too long. Okay. But Which one day we'll announce on the show. Yep. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I feel a little bit bad because, well, so a lot of the teams were, you know, of course, UAT students. And what's really cool to see is a bunch of first-term students jumping into something like a game jam. Because I don't know, I mean, you went to UAT, right? Yes. Uh, When I went to UAT, I took a bunch of game development classes, and I was actively making my own games at the time, but never through any of the courses was I required to make a game. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's a requirement. So it, it's it just, probably is, but I don't I don't remember. It's just they they give you the tools, but it's not like the stories you hear of like, DigiPen or 
some other schools where they actually force you to make games and not just make games, make games that could actually sell. Yeah, it is a little bit different. Um, and I think it's, I've, when I talk to people who want to get into to games, like kids, right? Uh, teenagers are like, where should I go? What, or what should I do? Should I bother going to a school for games? Um, I always say that it's, you know, like anything else in the uh, entertainment industry, any, any classes you take or whatever, it's all about your own initiative. Okay. So you could take a bunch of classes and then not do anything with that knowledge, or you could be the person who buckles down and actually make something awesome and have something for your portfolio. Right. And that's what, as basically all the schools are like, well, DigiPen does it a little bit differently and you are required to do something. Games are a really hard thing to teach just because it's such a wide, there's such a wide spectrum. Yeah. Well, it takes a certain amount of creativity from the get-go and that's something that is virtually impossible to teach. Uh, in my opinion, anyway. Well, I but think, once you have the idea... I think it starts with the craft of creating it. I kind of wish that game development was taught more like painting, where, let's say, you study uh, famous game designers, and then you pick one that you really like, and then you make a project by simulating their style, and then you learn all the nuances of how to make a game fun in their style. Then you branch off from that and make your own. That's how I learned how to make games. And I, I just did that through happenstance you mean like by building breakout and stuff like sure, that? sure yeah arkanoid's a great place to start you learn a lot more a, a lot making a game like that than uh than you would think uh th- that's the biggest problem i see in game schools is you've got these students who have these huge projects planned these dream games and they haven't even taken the first steps to rendering something on a screen yeah, that's uh, that's another thing that I'll tell a new student is that you've got to think really, really small. And um, Wes, this person that I mentioned <laughs> a minute ago, who was on the show a few weeks ago, we we made a game in like a two week session at a at a game camp thing, and uh, we had we had a pretty strong product at the end of it uh, because we kept the focus really small. And I was like, nope, we don't want to make anything too big. We don't right. want to like implement graphic scrolling and all this stuff you know we kept a it was like bomberman style right where okay. the, the screen was static and you just had to puzzle stuff and we yeah. had a map builder that was actually built into the game yeah and this is all we we wrote it in a week right we oh, had a, cool. kind of a, a week of training and then a week of writing and at the end you show it off to you know parents and whatever whoever can uh-huh. come by our parents did not live in you know the state where we were so they didn't visit but um you get to show it off and the general consensus was that ours, I think, was the best, and it was definitely because of a, a scope right. that was better, oh, yeah, better the, kept than others. Yeah, that was. Uh, you even see that problem at the game jam where um, a lot of the students were just making games. You have two days to make a game. Why are you going to make a game that's more than one gimmick? You know. So the the theme this weekend was stealth. And uh, I did kind of make fun of the people hosting it for theming it after something that's an actual existing genre. They're, they're usually more interesting themes than that. But like but, if, if I did that, it would be basically a monochrome game where your character is a square. Okay, so like Adventure for the Atari? Sure. Right, but with some more stealth elements. Uh, you totally have to hide from those dragons. They really? look like ducks. I, I can't claim to remember Adventure well enough. So It's the best Atari game. I've played it, but don't recall very much about it. I've got Adventure 2 over there if you want to play it, but it's for the Atari 5200, which I don't own. (laughs) So you say, you've got it over there if I want to play it. By that you mean, I've got it over there, so if you want to play it... (laughs) And you have a console. Yeah. Well, if you want to read the instruction manual. But I feel kind of bad for the students because all of the people that came down that aren't currently going to UAT... Uh, to participate in the game jam, one first, second, and third. Wow! And none of the students won any prizes, wow. which is tough because, well, I, I was I was one of the judges since uh, I didn't actively participate in it, and I felt I wish that I could have shared some more closure with everybody working on it because first term students definitely deserve a lot of encouragement for getting anything done at all. Like I said, through UAT, uh, unless this has changed in the last, well, I guess it was 10 years since I graduated from there, but unless it's changed in the last 10 years, 
if you're not required to make a game and if you go out of your way to make a really simple, you know, albeit uh, hacky and broken game. I mean, I mean, still, the, the games that people made were still approximately what you would find on Xbox Indie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not that's not a high bar, <laughs> right? Um, but I mean, that's definitely worth something, and it's worth encouragement. And those people should, you know, you know the people involved should be, uh, give, you know, given props for that, even if they're not given a Fry's gift card for winning so, first place. How much money were you guys giving away? Uh, I don't actually know how much was when I won a game jam in the past. I think I got a hundred bucks. All right. Well, that's good for something. Yeah, I got some headphones. Probably not the amount of time that you spent working on it. But well, yeah, it's more just a, uh, oh, cool, they gave me money for Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. Cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, well, I'm sorry that they didn't win at all, but if they were if they were first term, yeah, I wouldn't expect much anyway. But, I, like, I don't know what you could even do in your first year there. I mean, you're, you're taking a bunch of boring prereqs you're only getting taking one or two classes yeah yeah because the the problem is that a lot of the games they'll have like one programmer and a programmer gets stumped on one technical issue and when you're just learning a gaming engine or a programming language getting stumped on one thing can take you a whole weekend i'd like to think they came in with some sort of experience right Right. they'd built some things and they could remember their code or, or concepts of how to accomplish a certain Right. Whatever. So, so fortunately, I will. I think I am going to be meeting up with the teams that were involved at the IGDA meeting next Wednesday to offer some closure. All right. Well, is there any like any sort of um, post mortem or discussion with with the more experienced people like yourself, where you can say, "Hey, we saw this in this game. Like the, the fourth I, I, place did this, and maybe they could yeah, have done this better." I, I, I wish. I wish there was more of that because all it is is. You just have time to play the games real quick, give them numerical ratings in like five different categories. Then you go to an auditorium and everybody presents their game. So everybody gets to see what everybody else made. But there were a couple of games that I thought were neat but just had very poor conception. You know, like like overly complex, difficult to understand. Even if it was a polished game, it it wasn't well designed and... Uh, it's it's a difficult thing to tell people without them getting offended because games are generally pretty personal. Yeah, you know what though, I would recommend for the next game jam at least one that's in an environment like that where it's a, you know you're in a learning institution. Oh yeah, they do something called the noob jam uh, a couple times a year. Okay, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's it's like the game jam except it's all for students in it. And actually, I think either the last time or the time before that. I gave a talk right before the Noob Jam where I talked about the importance of growing your skill as a game developer before you make all of your best game ideas. Yeah. I, I'm thinking more like at the end, being able to dissect them and telling them what they did wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different because there's... That would be really helpful. Let's say it's more professional, right? It's something where like Notch is hanging out doing a game jam or whatever. Like right. I, I can understand. Let the people do it. Show off the games. Give the ratings. The awards. You're done. But in a, in a setting like this that, that you're describing, I would want to hear the feedback from the more experienced people who are there and say, right. all well, right, what first was, place got this. They I was did a great really job surprised. And I don't know if it's because it's, if, if it comes across more as a competition than as a learning experience. But like after the presentation, I was walking around looking for some of the uh, teams in order to give them my feedback. I had very specific feedback for some of the games that I thought were really cool, but like I couldn't figure out why they would do this one thing that seemed to kind of break the game. And uh, they just they dissipated. They just disappeared from the auditorium as soon as it was over. So make it part of the schedule. Yeah. That's a, that's what I'm saying. Well, so you the, have pro- the problem is, so you're going from Friday night at 6 p.m. to Sunday night at 6 p.m. And by the time you're done with the judging, and by the time you're done with the presentations, it's like 8 or 9 p.m. So how long are you going to drag that on on a Sunday night? Well, yeah, but you just change it. Time. Or better right. yet, do another day. Give, give each one a mentor figure who comes in after the first 24-hour right. mark and say, Here's what I'm seeing, your plan and, and what's already been implemented. Here's the, the downsides, right? I suggest you make these changes. Right. And then you might actually get some, you get more education for the students. You get a better product in the end and a more impressive showcasing at the end. It, it's a good idea. 
I'm an idea man. <laughs> Not really, but in this case, totally. Anyway, it's break time. We'll be right back. So we're back again, Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Our website, by the way, is chatterboxgameshow.com. And I, I point that out now because I want to thank people. We got a lot of emails this past week. Um, it's The volume of email that we receive varies greatly from week to week, but this, this was a good week. Um, and I, I suppose some of it had to do with our fantastic topical episode uh, and because of Tim's uh, insight and contribution to the show. <laughs> well, and probably more likely our outright asking people to email us we have done that before sir and it doesn't work oh but um we had several people tune in apparently our demographic is uh early to mid 30s male based on the the messages we got back here you and i both fit into that category as well as do does ara yeah i i want to hear some kids who think our ideas are stupid yeah well <laughs> it's funny you should read our uh our itunes um, reviews of the podcast. Oh. They are not fabulous. That's funny. But, you know, if people listening to the show now want to go rate us on iTunes, go crazy. I have no idea how that affects, like, our ratings in terms of position in iTunes, but I'm pretty sure if you search for our show on iTunes, unless you actually type in Chatterbox or something, you're never going to find a show. And I'm sure this is the only talk show called Chatterbox. Uh, there are a couple others. But... You can find it when you search for Chatterbox, but if you don't search for Chatterbox, you are not going to find it. And I got to tell you, I have listened to some gaming podcasts, and they are usually junk, and ours is only sometimes junk. (laughs) And so for that reason, I think we're better than the rest. And the people who listen to the show obviously think so. Uh, Maybe not better than the rest, but good enough to listen to. And I I think we deserve some credit because we do a show that's different. Um, Speaking of those differences, referencing last week's show, um, someone who goes by the name of Labyrinth, <clears throat> And he's one of many who emailed us. But um, he, first of all, thanked Tim for his efforts on the show. Oh, and, shucks. Yeah, and for calling out Zelda 2 as a great game. <clears throat> he, uh, he shared that experience of, of enjoying Zelda 2, that is. But then he also talked about Mega Man 2 as, he says, my, my top pick for best game of the old school era is Mega Man 2, with an honorable mention going to Gunstar Heroes on the Sega Genesis. Which, by the way, I've heard all sorts of things about Gunstar Heroes and only ever played it once for like 10 minutes. Oh, but it's awesome. On a Sega Nomad. Can okay. You it? Right? Do you have a Nomad? I didn't I, see a Nomad I don't here. own a Nomad. All right. So for those who don't know, by the way. It's a, because I'm usually very mad. No. A Sega Nomad is a full Sega Genesis system in a portable. So it had like the six button layout and everything and took full size cartridges. Not not like the Game Gear that took Sega. Sega yeah, Games it's more or, like the Superboy. More like the Superboy, which is an unofficial... Modern. Yeah. Modern portable Super Exactly. So um, the Nomad is official and portable and had a controller port on it. So you could right. play two-player. Second player. As well as video out. So you could just use it as a Genesis on a television. Right. So anyway, it was a great device, even though it took too much power. Um, and that's where I played Gunstar Heroes for the one and only time. Uh, anyway, he likes Mega Man 2 and also Wrecking Crew... But I mentioned this because you had some interesting thoughts on Mega Man 2 when I first read you this email. Yeah, my, my theory on why it's everybody's favorite Mega Man game. Let me read the rest of this part before we go into sure. that, actually, because I, I, I neglected to read this. He says, Mega Man 2 was just one of those games I could play over and over again and never get tired of. Soundtrack, controls, bosses, responsiveness, weapon abilities, level design. For an 8-bit system, it was amazing. Honestly, probably the best game in the Mega Man franchise. Yeah, so, I mean, first, I definitely want to say that as a kid... That was my favorite Mega Man game. And part of it is just because of obvious things, like it's the one with the best music. 
I wouldn't know that that's obvious, but okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> totally has the best music. How many Mega Mans are there now? There's like, I mean, not not the well, offshoots and of stuff. <laughs> of the main series, there's nine or ten? Well, ten just, just to throw that out there, uh, if you count the offshoots, there are more Mega Man games out there than any other series. More than Mario. I mean, how it's true. It actually, it actually, do you get? Because Wrecking Crew, we've determined, apparently was a Mario oh, game as well. Yeah, I, I guess. Hmm. And Punch-Out. If you counted count every Mike game. Punch-Out. If you counted every game that has Mario in it, that might be different. Okay. Uh, anyway. Um, so, Mega Man 2 is the easiest one, and that's because of localization and of tricky little perception trick that they did where people know that Mega Man games are notoriously hard. And when Mega Man 2 came out in Japan, it was a very difficult game. When it came out here, they said, oh, a lot of American players complained that Mega Man 1 was too hard. Mega Man 1 was freaking hard. It was pretty hard. I don't think I could beat it without using that trick where you have to use Elecman's weapon and then pause it and unpause it so it keeps hurting the enemy. You know what I'm talking about? I'm No. Okay. No. It, it was a little glitch, similar to the one in Blaster Master. Okay. You're, also not familiar with that one. <laughs> All right. So did, do, did like slow-mo controls work really well? Uh, no, it was that basically game? that the counter of uh, damaging the enemy would get reset while the game was paused. Okay. You know how like you you blink and you're invulnerable while you're blinking. Yeah. So that counter would decrease while the game was still paused. So you, you would you would hit him, then you would pause it, then you'd wait a second, then you'd unpause it, and then pause it again real quick. So okay. you'd hit him multiple times with the same shot. Okay. So I assume the shot lasted for a long time. Yeah, Leckman's shot was on the screen for a while. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's that's a bit of a tangent. So when Mega Man Two came out here. On the title screen, there's the, the normal and hard option with the default on normal. So when you play the game, like you generally don't think about it. You just pick normal. I, I can't actually think of... I never pick hard setting for games. Always mm. normal. Yeah, so it would be very rare, especially the first time. But even later on, you play through Bang Man 2, you're like, oh yeah, I want to play that again. Oh, this time I think I'll pick hard mode. That, that might happen, but it would, it's probably not the norm. But easy or normal mode is the one that they created when they localized it, and I think enemies take literally half as many hits to kill, and you lose half as much health when you're hit. So it's it's a huge difference. Yeah, that is big. And I tell you what, if they had done the very same thing, but just named normal mode easy and hard mode normal, yeah. I would have played normal and thought this is too hard. Right. I don't want to play easy, because that then I'm just a chump. Right, and it's the first Mega Man game since the recent, what was it, Mega Man 10 for on on the I couldn't remember download if it was services. nine or ten that just came out. Yeah, ten was which which blows my mind because I always thought Mega Man X was supposed to be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. But then I guess it would have gone X one instead of X two. So sequel. So what is your point now that? Oh, right. That one has. So so the point a difficulty is, setting? is that people playing uh, Mega Man two played. Uh, had a much easier experience playing it than any other Mega Man game. And as a kid, that feels good. It's like, uh, I think subconsciously what a lot of people are saying is that's the only Mega Man game that I could beat. For me, that's true. Um, I remember Mega Man 2 being a game that, one, I enjoyed. Two, that I remember playing all the way through and beating. Um, I never really, I don't think I ever played Mega Man 4 um, or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8. <laughs> right. Um, but I think I tried the third one and gave up. I I can't be sure, but I think that's the case. Uh, I can't remember if it was Mega Man 5 or So so I made a game called Mega Goat, which was a parody of some of the Mega Man tropes, like the bosses are like Ice Cream Man and <laughs> okay. Um and Garbage Man. Sure. And you know the th- the three robot masters that are like, "Oh, which one defeats each other?" There's Rock Man, Paper Man, and Scissors Man. Mm-hmm. But uh, I realized after making a, a bit of that game that it doesn't really make sense to do a parody of Mega Man games because they do that themselves throughout the series. They get more and more ridiculous. Yeah, I would say the most ridiculous is actually not the Mega Man game, but the Street Fighter versus Tekken, or Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a parody of the aged Mega Man. Yes. Or it's rather, it's aged Mega Man from the Mega Man 1 box art. 
I didn't know if they tried to say the Mega Man if it, it was actually the dude from the box. Yeah, he's but. he's got the color scheme. He's got the whole separate gun. I, I think right. it's hilarious, but it, it bothers some people. Oh, it is hilarious. Some people say that Capcom is officially trolling their fans. Oh, isn't that what Ono does? Was Ono the one in charge of Street Fighter Cross Tekken? Yoko? Yeah. Not Yoko Ono. Yeah, well, I can't remember his name now. Yoshinori Ono or something? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I I'm just going to screw it up. Every time I don't know a name and I say it anyway. Yeah. On the air. like I only know like three Japanese names. They're really hard to memorize. Yeah. I think it's Yoshi something. No, or no, Ono. Anyway. He like quit or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I don't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah. The I have a picture with him from E3 last year. I heard that they contacted him to see if it was okay to put aged Mega Man in Street Fighter versus. Tekken. I wouldn't know. He said that he thought it was hilarious. Probably. I that would not surprise me one bit. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he is. But uh, yeah, so I actually last year when I went to E3, I had um, ripped open my hand uh, like the the week before, the day before I left or something. Very soon. Oh, was it on a chainsaw controller? No, but it was on a chain link fence. Oh. Um, and I have a big scar to show for it now. Wow. So anyway, I had ripped open my hand days before going to E3. And um, so I had my, my hand wrapped in gauze. So it looked like I was, you know, like the can or something with oh. my hand wrapped up. <laughs> and so we got a picture, like a bunch of us from from Golgatron and uh, and Chatterbox. Like we were down there and we had a picture with him. And there's me with my, my fist in the air. Looking all tough like I'm a Street Fighter character, but it's just because I had... And you totally got the build. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> I was um, too unstealthy to climb over a fence properly and ripped my hand open. So, <laughs> yeah. But I looked tough in the photo. I tell you what, I think I have a pink shirt on, too, at the time. <laughs> so you're more like Dan. Yeah, more like Dan. Okay, so where were we going with this? Oh, um... Well, Kids like see. easy games. Yeah, Mega Man 2 is easy. Kids like easy games. I used Game Genie when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, now I talk about it in disgrace. But, I mean, I can't really put myself back in that mindset. Now I can go back and play those games and appreciate the challenge and appreciate the designer's intentions. And very few Nintendo games are actually cheap to the point where they're not beatable. And it's just something that you have to master. And it's something that, you know, as, as a kid, you can't master everything. But I don't like the idea of repetition like that. I, I would just get sick of it, get frustrated and want to put it down. So, well, I mean, there's... Go back and play your movie games. Well, di- different people have different sweet spots, right? So as a developer, you, you can't just pick one and know that you got it right. The, I assume the goal is to get as many people as possible to play it and enjoy it while also teaching them something, right? Right. You don't want to just make something super easy. But... Um, you know, how do you pick? Some people want the challenge, and other people aren't ready for the challenge as, as much. And that's why you have difficulty settings. Yeah, that's what difficulty settings are supposed to do. But- Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. All right, I'm mad that we got cut off by the music. We were talking about the difficulty settings. I was trying to say that I think a lot of developers in Japan make stuff just too damn hard 
And surely it's an audience thing, right? Like I'm just not cool enough to hang with the people who want to use just the knife through an entire Resident Evil game, right? Um, those people are crazy, and I'm not. <laughs> you know, you, you can get to Ganon in Zelda 1 without ever taking the sword at the beginning. Um, what do you use, the boomerang all the time? Um, mostly, I think you have to get the bow, which is tough. You have to win the money-making game so that you can shoot enough arrows until you get the wand. Then once you get the wand, you're pretty much all set. Okay. But yeah, so people come up with these. But you well, need... well, anyway, you're saying that you're not that type of person. Yeah, like I just, and I use the Barney example, right? Like, as kids, and I was, Barney was before my time, but kids like Barney, and they will watch whatever episode you have on VHS or DVD, and then we'll watch that episode of Barney whatever show, Stupid Dinosaur, over and over and over. And as adults, we look at them, and we want to blow our brains out. <laughs> we don't understand how they can watch this thing over and over and over. But kids have this ability to handle repetition in a way that adults simply do not. Oh, yeah. And, like um, when a kid tells you a joke, then he tells you the joke again, and he thinks he's just as funny. Yes. Another yeah, fine example. Terrible. So, like, I just, I have such a low tolerance for it. Like, I'm, I'm assuming lower than the normal adult. Um, you don't punch the kids, do you? No, no. Okay. I'm saying repetition in general. Oh. So I, I'm put in a position like that where the game is too difficult. I'm just like, all right, I'm done. Right? Like I don't need. I well, don't yeah, need to see e- the other 95 percent of this game <laughs> if the first five percent is too hard. You even did that with my game. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe your game wasn't compelling enough, sir. <laughs> it is to everybody else. Maybe yeah. it's a little too repetitive for you. I need music. Right. Oh, it has has music. I had the, it on mute. The lack of sound effects. Well, it only has one. Okay. Track. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So, um, so yeah, I can't handle the repetition. And so games that are too hard to just give up, and it must just be that the, I'm, I'm guessing the Japanese culture, people have a much higher tolerance for that because I'm not convinced that they're just naturally out of the womb better game players. Right. Right. But. Oh, yeah. They, it's even like um, when, when I was on talking about Spelunky, uh, we mentioned roguelikes. Mm-hmm. which are those super hard, randomly generated, uh, one, you know, uh, permadeath games. And I remember seeing this commercial. I wish I could still find it because it was my favorite example of how the Japanese culture is more... Uh, cause I, me- I remember reading an article on this first, then finding this commercial, that Japanese players are willing to... S- are capable of seeing frustration as a form of fun. And American players generally cannot. Where did you see this? Uh, okay, so in a commercial for one of these roguelikes, the commercial actually showed this guy playing the game and getting really pissed off as if it was a good thing. And that was the whole commercial. Okay, so this wasn't. This could just be weird advertising, not necessarily a representation uh, of cultural Well, differences. so the only reason I know it's not that is because I read some interview with, I don't know who it was, like, somebody from capcom or something or konami who mentioned who, who mentioned that he, they have to start making their games easier as they uh target more of a worldwide market because when they make games just for a japanese market they can make games more frustrating and when they make games that are also intended for an american market they have to realize that frustration isn't necessarily fun for them so it's just it just kind of blows my mind to even hear that that oh yeah frustration is fun because over here we use them pretty much as opposites yeah it's this is absolutely one of the most fascinating things that i have considered on this program before um i i had never heard that i've always known that like japanese gamers are the more hardcore or the more difficult you know audience whatever or they could they could handle more difficult games i mean right um that pretty much everyone knows. But like to the point where it's become a stereotype, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But what what you're explaining here is it, that's sort of, it gets to the crux of it. It's the basic difference in culture that creates that scenario. Right. And they I, can handle more difficult and, stuff and if I they actually enjoy frustration. And I can't quite tell what it is. Like I think I mentioned this when we were talking about Spelunky too. But to me, and this, it, it's hard to describe to consider this a form of fun but 
I've been thinking lately about how for, for a game to be compelling, it has to have an interesting losing condition. And the ultimate losing condition for a game is that you lose everything because then it builds this tension that if the game's designed right can be what I consider a healthy tension, but other people it totally drives up the wall. Yeah, but then it's got to be easy enough that you could conceivably get through it all and not just have well, the 1% getting through it It all. has to be designed fairly where like really cheap scenarios don't happen. But if you have everything on the line, you pl- you're in a totally different mindset when you're playing the game. And it just gives so much more weight to all of your actions. As opposed to the opposite of that would be either the quarter muncher arcade games where, oh, yeah, I lost, just put another quarter in, just keep doing that whenever. Or the uh, a, a lot of modern games, which there are some games that are designed well around the impulsively keep playing until you can do it. Like, I actually have a very recent example of this, one oh. from just a few days ago. Okay. Um, which is kind of a mix of the two. So uh, I was playing Renegade Ops because... I remember I played... Lara Croft Guardian of Light uh-huh. because it was free for PSN. Right. Well, Renegade Ops, free for PSN. So, okay. I'm not familiar um, with that game. It's a Sega game. Surprising, since I generally don't like Sega games. Um, and that's a recent realization for me, by the way. Uh, so I play this game. It is a vehicle-based twin-stick shooter. Okay. Right? So like a, a wheeled vehicle. So it's top-down, and you're driving through the jungle and deserts and whatever and shooting other vehicles that are coming after you, right? Like, so there's tanks and more smaller mobile vehicles. Sure. But um, it's separated into like nine or 10 levels, but within each level, it's not like every other game you play these days where you have infinite lives. You can just keep going, no big deal. Um, You have a set number of lives, which changes based on the difficulty level that you assign. Okay. I was playing on normal difficulty, which had five lives, although some stages had one extra life you could pick up in, in the level. First of all, when you die, you lose your upgrades, which, okay, that's fairly common in, in any game, right? But the levels were pretty big, at least at, towards the beginning of the game. The levels were longer, where it took like 30 minutes to beat the level. And if you lost all your lives, there, was, there were no saves or checkpoints or anything. You just went back to the beginning of the level, and hopefully you could finish it. And there were a couple that I lost all my lives, and I didn't finish it. And I was like, well, that's crappy. I have to go all the way back to the beginning. But at the same time, I understood that if I didn't, the game would would be less interesting, right? Because right. I just wouldn't have to play as well. I well, wouldn't have to be careful. And that's why during the 90s, uh, in, in the, by, by the early 90s, that was when every arcade game had a continue feature in it. Yep. So you could just brute, your, brute force your way through it because they, they were making a ton of money. And th- that's, that's actually another interesting cultural thing is that in Japan, uh, the whole pay money to continue trick never really worked on people. Because the, um, and I don't know if this goes back to the tolerance of repetition or tolerance of frustration, but players realized that by always going back to the beginning of the game, you both got more money's worth out of the game and you also got more practice to get good at the game instead of always paying money to be at the very limit of your skill level. That's really fascinating. But what I was going to say is that uh, I tend to prefer... Super Nintendo ports of arcade games from that era because the Super Nintendo ports are slightly redone, first of all, to be a little bit less cheap and also to limit your n- number of continues. So they're basically... What do you think, like R-Type? Um, I'm thinking more like the beat-em-ups, like Final Fight or Capcom's other ones, like King of Dragons and Knights of the Rounds. You could just continue indefinitely on that stuff. Uh, no, you can't. You have finite continues. Uh, really? Same thing with Turtles in Time. You only get like ten credits or something. Okay. Didn't which is which is ample to to complete the game. But I, I played sort it, of not for me. Well, I played it once with a buddy, and you know we were just playing it, and you know you're not really sure. We're like, oh well, you know, do you have infinite credits or whatever? Let's just play through the game. And my buddy died, and it said game over, and suddenly it became extremely tense. For me, and then like before, when I was just kind of playing moderately well and just getting hit here and there, suddenly like I don't know if it was like an adrenaline burst or what, but I was just at the top of my game and I could not be touched, and I played through the rest of the game without dying. 
Wow. Wait, which game were we talking about? Turtles, Turtles in Time. Time. All right. Well, I'm sorry that you wasted your life playing that game. <laughs> that's disappointing. That's, to that's me. an awesome game. I don't know. It's the best Ninja Turtles beat 'em up. I'm done with beat 'em ups completely. Did you ever play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fighting game? Tournament Fighters. I played that for the first time recently. Somebody brought it into work, and I had my Superboy at work. Okay. And our Super Nintendo arcade yeah. sticks. I went. I went through some trials to get that game. Just like having the finances and like getting Circuit City to match and like <laughs> give the extra ten percent off because I found somewhere else that had it cheaper or whatever. <laughs> um, but I got that game, and then it turned out to not be that great. Yeah, it's really hard to beat Street Fighter. That, that was my problem. I was like, games. oh, it's another fighting game. It's going to be great because fighting games are great. And it's, then I realized, wait a minute. No, people can make crappy fighting games. Well, yeah, and it's better than most. It's better than um, uh, what What was – I can't remember what Super Nintendo port it was. It was King of Fighters or something. It was No, it was Samurai Showdown. The Super Nintendo port of Samurai Showdown is pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah, well, Samurai Showdown, I'm not convinced, was ever very good. The control was not great. I could never pull off stuff in that game. The right moves. I, yeah, people best, loved it, best and I wanted Street Fighter. To, I love. I wanted to love Samurai Showdown. Whole life wanted to. Well, the samurais are cool. Yeah, and I just, it was never that great. Anyway, we are at the end of our program, once again. So next week, uh, I want to remind everyone that they can email us, alon at chatterbox. Uh, excuse me, chatterboxgameshow.com. I do not own chatterbox.com, but alon at chatterboxgameshow.com, which is at our website. You can get that right, chatterboxgameshow.com, or just Chatterbox Show, or Chatterboxers, but the email is chatterboxgameshow.com. So email us, and we will talk about stuff that you email us for, and uh, if you call and leave leave a voicemail, I will not get it until Ara's back. So don't do that for another few weeks, but thanks for listening. Have fun. been listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us